All right, so lesson 68, and um, title this one, The Lord at War, and this is just part of the war because we'll have to continue that next week. Um, the Lord's return is something, and we've talked about this, but it's something that was not only prophesied in the Old Testament, but there's over 70 places in the New Testament where it's mentioned. Yet there are so many churches, so many preachers, so many people that say, well, we don't need to study that. We don't. And they set it aside. And it's not, you know, a popular subject with the younger part of our culture today. Uh, except for Daniel. So we're welcome. Daniel, Bella, she's supposed to be here. And the rest of us that are young. There we are. Okay. But um, they, don't, they really don't want to hear it about the coming of the Lord because they don't want their life to end. They don't want things to change. They want to get married. They want to buy their first car. They want to have children. They want to uh, get to college. They want to get a job. They, they don't want all of this to come to an end, and they, they don't like thinking about tragedy, though they see enough of it. So... It's a, it's a little bit of a difficult subject to minister, and I've uh, listened to a number of, of ministers uh, talking about that on their podcasts and talking about the fact it's difficult to minister these truths to young believers. Yet the Apostle Paul did, and as I've shared with you before, he went through the empire, and almost every one of his letters uh, he mentions something about the coming of the Lord or ties something together as if he's already taught it to them. Um, James does. Peter does, of course. John does. So it's not that it wasn't spoken of. The Gospels all include Jesus' mentions of his coming, of his return. And so it, it is something that is imperative for us to know what's not imperative is for us to know the day or the time but to know that he will right and that's what jesus left his disciples with when they ask well what are the signs when is it going to happen tell us when you're going to come back and jesus said that's not for you to know what you need to know is that i've made you witnesses so take the gospel to the nations Right? You've been filled with the Spirit, so once you receive the Holy Spirit, it's there so that you can be a witness. You can carry this message to people that need to hear, because you don't know when it is that I'm going to return. Now, we can look at some signs, we can look at some things that seem to lead us to believe that it's close, but, like I've already said, <laughs> they've done that down through the history of the church. And there certainly were things that, at times, were worse than what we're seeing today. And, and yet, the Lord didn't return. They may have thought it was. Uh, I cannot imagine, you know, the, the, the rise of Islam and what that did to the church in the seven um, 800s. And within 100 years, Islam had swept from the Middle East Saudi Arabia, all the way to the Atlantic coast of Africa, um, all around the Mediterranean, all the way to Turkey. And they conquered it all. They didn't convert people. They conquered them. And they said, 
you're now Muslim. And if you worship anything else, then we will deal with you, usually by execution. So it was uh, not the worst thing that's ever happened in the church age, but we can see things happening today that seem to say, how many of you say, seem to say, <laughs> it's got to be close, it's got to be close, because I can't see this going on for much longer, uh, for one thing, and lives. I like the phrase that Pastor Bob has used many times as he talked about the earth is just wearing out. It's just, it's just flat wearing out. And so uh, this can't continue to go on. But So when we see in Revelation 19, uh, we look at this passage, John saw heaven opened and he saw the Lord return. We're going to start again in verse 11, but we'll pick up our teaching in verse 13. So Revelation 19, verse 11 says, Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. So we talked about that last week. And then we also talked about his eyes are like a flame of fire, literally flaming fire. And on his head are many crowns, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. That's which where we ended. No one knows but himself. There are so many, so many things in that that um, this, this book is not everything we ever need to know. God's got a lot to show us that we have no idea about. There are things that God is going to show us in ages to come. But the one that they're seeing here is the same one that John saw. Walked with him for three years, but he's different. This is, this is not the way he left. <laughs> he, he didn't leave on a horse <laughs> with robes dipped in blood and um, eyes flaming fire. Uh, he, he was their same friendly Jesus who was just lifted up from their midst and uh, taken into heaven. But what we see here is not the same. Look at verse 13. It says, he is, a, he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. The name by which he is called is the Word of God. So there's a number of things in this verse that we need to uh, take a look at. Here he is in John chapter 1. He described him as the creator of all things and the giver of life. Let's read those verses. It's in your notes there. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. And verse 4, and in him was life, and that life was the light of men. So in his first coming, he appeared as the creator of all things and the giver of life. That's how he came to this earth, to identify and to suffer with us. But in this passage... 
He's the judge of all things. And as I've mentioned before, this, the, the eyes, we were talking about the eyes just at the end of our class last week. Eyes with no mercy, no grace. You know, we, people have described looking at the Lord, visions that they have of the Lord, people that say they have seen appearances of the Lord. My grandfather did on his deathbed. And whose eyes were filled with love. But here, they're fire of judgment. That's what they see. And down through all eternity, people in hell will see the Lamb who was slain, but he has no mercy for them. Their suffering is eternal. For they have rejected the one way that God has given them to find life. So, though he came as a creator of all and the giver of life, he is here the judge of all. In John 1.14, John 1.14 says he came in human flesh to bring grace and truth to all who would receive him. John 1.14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. The glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's what he was then. That's not what he is here. Here he comes bringing judgment. Here he is a glorious sovereign filled with righteous anger. There's no grace and truth in his ministry. He's bringing death to all who have rejected him. So this is, uh, wow, this is not the same appearance. It's so we look at different ways that uh, the scriptures have told us that these things would be. That he came in one way to save us and he comes another way to judge the earth. Listen to Paul, top of page 2 in your notes. Paul says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 26, But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages. And the, the phrase once for all means literally once for all time. He has appeared. To put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So he only came once, and that's it to put away sin. And if you want your sin removed, forgiven, if you want righteousness restored, if you want your life turned from death to life, <laughs> then you better receive him as he came. He came once that way. That's it. Once. And just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to deal with sin. He's not going to put away sin. But to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. And that word save is not to be thought of as salvation. It's saving them from all of the evil that is in this broken world. Why? Because he's going to change it. And so he's going to save them out of a broken world. 
He's going to save all creation from its brokenness and from all of the the evil and the upheaval that creation is experiencing even now. We were just talking about volcanoes. Those are going to come to an end. God's going to put an end to those. He's going to put an end to tsunamis and forest fires and all manners of destruction that we see happening around the world. All of that will come to an end and there will be a thousand years of glorious peace upon this earth where all creation will be praising him. All men will be living in security. Then at the end of that, he's going to set up his throne, going to judge all men. And all those who come to that white throne judgment will be cast into hell. That's coming lessons. Wow, so exciting, huh? But then he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. Like nothing that we have seen, like nothing that we can begin to experience. People talk about having visions of heaven and things like that. They're only having visions of the heaven that is now. Of things that are there now. Because the new heaven and the new earth doesn't even exist yet. So, wow, that's all to come. But it's not just Paul that mentions that he's going he's to come twice, but just one time to save. Listen to Jesus' own words. Jesus remained silent. This is when he's at his trial. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, hey, you said so. That, those words came right out of your mouth. Yes, I am the Christ. Could have said it that way. But I tell you, from now on, you'll see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Now, the high priest knew what he was talking about when Jesus made that statement because that was the hope that they had of the Messiah. But the Messiah that Jesus came to show them first was the Messiah who would die. Then he was going to come as the Christ who was going to judge. And so this one time, they could beat him. They could torture him. They could spit upon him. They could reject him. They could ignore him. They could walk away. But in Revelation 19, when we see him coming, uh, there's no spitting. There's no slapping. There's no torture. There's no ignoring him. There's no walking away. He's coming as judge of all. And they will face him. And they will see him as he is. Isaiah chapter 25, Isaiah says it this way, It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. I just love this verse. This to me is just one of the, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. Again, save us from all of the destruction, presence of sin, all those things that are in the earth. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. So as he comes, there are people who will be rejoicing at his appearance. And certainly we who are following him, with the army that follows him, we'll talk about in a minute. Part of that army that is following him, yeah, we'll be, we'll be there, we'll be rejoicing, certainly we will be. 
Because now we see him coming to rule and reign on his earth. Today he reigns in the hearts of believers. But one day he's going to come with his, lack of another term, impressed rule on all the earth. He's going to impress it just like, like you would put a stamp on leather. Just push it in there and seal it. And so this is it. He is coming. But those who are alive on the earth at this time, Revelation 19, if you're not a believer, when he appears, you have no chance. It's already sealed. When he appears, they say, well, you know, if I could see Jesus coming in the clouds and everything changed and lightning from the east to the west, and if I could see all this kind of stuff, yeah, I'd believe. Yeah, and it's going to be too late. Because when he comes, there is no mercy, there is no grace. There's no offering of salvation to those who are here. He's saving those who are believers from all the oppression and the darkness of this earth from the very presence of sin, but he's not coming to bring the message of salvation. There'll be no, quote, invitation. Everybody who wants to receive the Lord, please come down to the front. No, there'll, be, there'll be none of that. This is not a revival. This is judgment. It will be severe, as we will see as we follow these verses on down. So what does it say in that verse? Middle of your second page, he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. I want to talk about that part first. A robe dipped in blood. Now, again, here's one of those places, commentaries go two, two directions. And a number of the commentaries that I have say that this is uh, the blood of salvation, the blood of the Lamb. It's the blood that uh, it was his own blood by which he is redeeming mankind. And so when John saw him on the throne, what did he see? He saw a lamb as if it was slain, right? And so uh, it, by his blood, he has redeemed us. And so we know all of those principles by his blood that he conquered, right? That's the reason that because the, and he was conquered by his blood. That's the reason he was allowed to take the scroll and open the seals. And so because of that blood, because of his sacrifice, because of what he gave up. So this is one direction that many of the commentaries go. But the problem is that's not the picture here. The picture here is not a picture of salvation. The picture here is something different. This is a picture of judgment. And the blood is not his. It's theirs. It's the blood of all of those whom he is coming to conquer. And his robe is dipped in blood, literally rubbed with blood. It's been immersed with blood. And this blood stained from what? Not from his sacrifice, though as glorious as that was for us who believe. This is for those who do not believe, those who have rejected there will be blood, but it will be theirs. <clears throat> this is a parallel passage to Isaiah 63. 
It tells us that uh, the blood will uh, be up to the bridle of the horses in the valley of uh, Megiddo, that all these armies that are gathered there, the blood will flow so great that it is up to the horses' bridles. You know, a standard horse is, what, back is about here. The horse's bridle is going to be at least four and a half to five feet off the ground. That is a lot of blood. Listen to how Isaiah presents this. Isaiah 63, verse 1. Who is this who comes from Eden? In crimson garments from Bozrah. He who is splendid in his apparel, marching in the greatness of his strength. Now, Edom had to do with the fact he was coming from the east. It is I, speaking in righteousness, mighty to save. That's the voice of the Messiah. That's why is your apparel red and your garments like he who has tread in the winepress? Verse 3, I have trodden in the winepress alone. No one else could do this. No one else has the right to make judgment upon the earth. And from the peoples, no one was with me. I trod them in my anger and trampled them in my wrath. Their lifeblood splattered on my garments and stained all my apparel. For the day of vengeance was in my heart and my year of redemption had come. I looked, there was no one to help. I was appalled, but there was no one to uphold. So my own arm brought me salvation, and my wrath upheld me. I trampled down the people in my anger. I made them drunk in my wrath, and I poured out their lifeblood on the earth. That doesn't sound like Jesus. Jesus, Jesus wouldn't do this. He will. For all who have rejected him. I know we love to read John 3.16. Right? We love John 3.16. How many of us read John 3.17 and 18? Well, I don't know. John 3.16 is what it says on the sign at the football game. That's all the further I read. So let me read. God so loved the world, gave his only begotten son, Whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life, eternal life. Yea, ye, ye God. That's, that's beautiful. That's his first coming. For God not, did not send his world, his son into the world, condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Thank God for this first coming. Amen. That the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he is not believed in the name of the only Son of God. There's condemnation for those who reject in the first coming what Christ has done. And that will be visited in the second coming. So that's the parallel passage in Isaiah 63 to what we read. Now, one of the commentaries, and a couple of them, I'm sure, have brought up this question. Well, why are his garments blood splattered before the battle has begun? So he's coming, and his robe is already dipped in blood. They say, well, how come he's already got blood on his robe if he hasn't even started the battle yet? 
because this is not the first battle that the Lord has fought. Time and again in the Old Testament, didn't he get involved? Wasn't the Lord Jesus on their side fighting for them? Wasn't the Lord Almighty, the eternal Son of God, wasn't he there fighting on their behalf? Didn't he slay 185,000 men in one night? That's not his only battle. He's battled through time and again for his people. He's battled for those things. And though we say, well, I, don't, I didn't see the blood, it's because when he came, he didn't wear that garment. He was dressed in what when he came the first time? Swaddling clothes. Baby, baby wraps. <laughs> he was wrapped as a baby. He left his war garments behind with all the stains of the blood from the wars that he had fought. But now he's coming to bring forth eternal judgment upon those where he comes. His war clothes bear the stains of many previous battles that we have seen. How many battles has he fought for us? We don't see those stains, but he fights for us, does he not? He's ever on our side. And so we know that our Lord is taking our side. And though we don't see him involved in that battle, doesn't mean he is not. And he will come. On this day, uh, they will be stained like never before. He will tread the wine press. I'll come back to that phrase in just a little bit. And so it says his robe is dipped in blood and he is called the Word of God. He is called the Word of God and his name is the Word of God. Not the words of God. He is the Word of God. The word used there is the Greek word logos, logos, and it simply means the full expression. Everything that God would have to say, Jesus is. He is the logos of God. This is top of page three. And so as he comes in his judgment hour, yeah, he, came, he was the word of God when he came. John said so. But what? The Word became what? Flesh. Flesh. And dwelt among us. So he put off all of the expressions of that deity. He set them aside according to Philippians chapter 2 and verse 6. He thought it not robbery to be equal with God. That's a really poor translation. The word literally means he didn't think being one with deity was something he had to hold on to. So he emptied himself. Greek word kanao. So he emptied himself. What did he empty himself of? His deity? No, he couldn't do that. He always was. He emptied himself of the expression of that deity, what we might call his glory. And so he emptied himself of that and took upon himself the form of a servant. What's a servant? Someone who has no will of his own. And that's what we see in Jesus. Five times in the Gospel of John, he makes the statement. He said, I didn't come to do my will. I don't do what I want. I didn't come to do my own will, but the will of my Father. I'm always doing my Father's will. 
Over and over, Jesus made reference. I didn't come to do what I want. I am a servant doing what the Father wants me to do. Well, isn't he God? Yes. But that's not how he came to express himself. He set that aside so that he could come in this form. And so, as John says it, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And what did we see? Grace and truth. That's everywhere that Jesus went. What a, what a beautiful description of Jesus in his earthly ministry, full of grace and truth. Makes me want to write a book or preach a sermon on that or something. I don't know. Full of grace and truth. Everywhere he went, he was full of grace and truth. No matter who he encountered, even people who were hard against him, he met them with grace and truth. But that's not what we're seeing now. We see a different image. Yeah, he is the word of God, but the word of God is not just words of grace and truth. The word of God is also words of judgment. Words of absolute sovereign authority. And so Jesus shows that in his second coming. He shows the sovereign authority of God. He is the one who rules. He's the one who makes the decisions. He's the one who has set what is right and what is wrong. And so he comes with this. Now the idea, the, the Hebrew idea of, of a spoken word had to do with a unit of energy. To the Hebrew people, a word was, was full of power. It was full of something. Words were just containers. We see the same thing in, in uh, the, the other like oriental type languages. Their, their words are most, more like a picture. And that picture contains all kinds of things. And so we have the same idea. Red is full of all kinds of pictures. And so I say that the, uh, the item was red. And each one of you is going to have a different shade of red in your mind. Because red's just a container. But to the Hebrew people, it was more than that. Words had power. And words that were spoken released power. And so when the Bible calls him the word of God, yes, he's the full expression of everything, but it's also God releasing all of the power that he wants Jesus was a container full of the very power of God. And so he came to this earth as the Word took upon himself flesh and began dispensing that power, demonstrating that power, showing people that power. From what perspective? The power that was coming out of Jesus in his three years of ministry was coming from what perspective? Grace and truth. So that's what he was showing. But you know what? The word of God is also full of judgment. If you will not believe, you will not see. If you will not believe, you will be condemned. There is only one name by which man might be saved. The name of Jesus Christ. That's God's word. And it's a word full of judgment. 
So Jesus comes as this expression of God. In his first coming, expressions of salvation, grace, and truth. In his second coming, expressions of judgment. Putting everything right. Removing all rebellion. Putting away every rejection of God. There will be no ignoring the Lord's return. You can't hide from it. It will find you. And so this is him coming in his power. Listen to Jeremiah. Jeremiah 23, verse 29 says, Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? Yeah. Well, but then David wrote that the word of God heals. Makes whole. Is that right? I sent forth his word and did what? Healed them, delivered them. Yeah, that's one side of it. But there's also fire and a hammer. Breaking things in pieces. That's the active word of God. It depends on how it is received, how it is displayed. Psalm 29 is a beautiful psalm uh, that six times within the psalm, I think there's 10, 12 verses, but six times in those verses, the phrase, the voice of the Lord, the voice of the Lord. He sustains, he creates, he builds, he helps, he delivers. The voice of the Lord, that's the word of God. And God's word comes full of power. But here it says, this is his name. It's not just him speaking. Jesus didn't just come speaking the word of God. He is the word of God. He's the full expression. So what did we see when he came? Compassion, love, interest in mankind, mercy. God's desire to draw, to help, to deliver, to rescue, to set free God's desire to die for our sin. That's beautiful. But now, he comes with a different perspective. He's the word of God. But now, he's not going to die for your sin. You are. Well, not anybody in this room. <clears throat> Speaking to those people who are on the earth at that time. Those who are not believers. Now, there will be plenty of believers when the Lord returns. People who have accepted the message of the gospel, those who have believed that Jesus is the Messiah, and those who haven't been put to death for their faith. They will see him coming, and they'll rejoice. They'll be here on the earth, exulting in God as they see him coming as their deliverer. But for the most part, those on the earth are those who are going to pay for their own sin. Can you pay for your sin? Can you? No. There's no way. You can't be good enough. You can't be right enough. You can't be pure enough. You can't be bold enough. No. 
You can't do anything about it. So when Jesus, or when John here calls the warrior Christ the word of God, uh, he means in this action he is delivering everything that God has intended. He's summing up everything that God has been waiting for since before creation because, we've said this phrase how many times, the lamb was slain before the foundation of time. God's been waiting for this for millennia. Before the foundation of time, it was already in the heart and the mind of God. Before there were ever people to redeem, before there was an earth for people to live on, before there was a day, God in his heart, in his mind, had already purposed that when man was here and man would sin, he would send his own son to redeem them. It was in his heart. But the opposite side was true also. He would send his son also to bring judgment on all those who refused, rejected. Let's go to verse 14. So not only did he see this one coming, the robe dipped in blood, and his name is the word of God. And he says in verse 14, And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. Now, if you're not a horse rider now, you will be. God will take care of that. I hope nobody falls off. It's, I rode horses a lot when I was younger. I fell off a few times. But, um, no, this will all be safe. We'll all be good. And uh, we'll be coming with him. And this army f of, of people arrayed in fine linen, white and pure. Again, a description of the saints, but it's not just the saints. Who else is in this army? Who else is part of this Lord's army? Uh, he'll be accompanied as he returns. Remember, look at the bottom of your page three. First, there will be the church the bride of the Lamb. Cool. We'll be with him. And the church already pictured wearing fine linen, bright and clean. That was in verses 7 and 8 there of chapter 19. So we're already seen this way. And so the bride is going to be coming with him. All of the believers from all of the uh, centuries since Pentecost up until the time of the rapture. That's the church. And they will all be coming with him. But also, coming with him from the heaven, second group in his army will be the tribulation believers. All those who have believed and have died for their faith and have been brought into heaven, these will be coming with him also as they are brought with Christ in his return. That's Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9. And they also will be in their white robes. They will be coming with the Lord. Also, will be Old Testament saints who are resurrected at the end of the tribulation. So even as Jesus is returning, Old Testament saints are raised from the dead, and they now are part of this great army. Uh, that's from Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Let me read those for you. Daniel 12 Verses 1 and 2, the Old Testament saints, At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince, who has charge of your people. 
your people, being the Jewish people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. Believers. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. So, there will be Old Testament believers raised to be part of this army. And then the fourth group that will be coming with them are the holy angels. Masses of angels also accompanying the Lord. All of this coming. So, this is an army that is bound to win, right? Mm, trick you. Army has nothing to do with winning the battle. I know. I know they call us the army of the Lord. No, we're just spectators. We're just along for the ride. And so we're just, you know, going along with the Lord. Jesus said, wherever I am, there you, there you'll be. Right? So shall we ever be with the Lord? Well, if he's returning, where are we going to be? With him. And so we're going to come with him, riding on our horses, watching him as he descends upon this earth with all of those from around the world who have come to do battle with the Lord. I still haven't got that all figured out. You know, I, I, I don't know how people on the far side of the earth are also going to be fighting in this and rejecting the Lord, but the Bible says every eye will see him, and every eye means what? Every, every eye. eye. So this is, um, this is a glorious thing the Lord is going to do. All of those who would have opposed him, all those who have rejected the gospel, all of those who don't want anything to do with us, all of those who have taken the mark of the beast, all of those who literally sold, sold their soul, to stay alive during the time of the tribulation, all of those will be faced with this judgment while the Lord comes with his army of saints. Spectators. They're not going to fight. They have no weapons. So that heavenly sword that you see yourself with, lightsabers or whatever you think, favors, phasers, you know, um, no, you won't, you won't need them. All we need is to watch. And then it talks about that, he, that his mouth, out of his mouth came its sword. What is, what is it coming out of his mouth? What is it? It's the word. But this is not the word that we use against the devil. This is not the word that we would use, you know, to divide between soul and spirit, joint and marrow, thoughts and intents of the heart. This is a word, this is the sword of judgment. This is the sword that Jesus will use to bring judgment upon the earth. He will speak a word, and all who oppose him will be dead. Now, they don't just die and disappear, because the Bible talks about blood, lots of blood. And so this is not just, well, you're done, you're out of here. People like to think that rejecting Christ, that hell will be temporal, that it's just for a period of time, that maybe you'll go there and suffer for a day or two, and then God will change his mind, feel sorry for you, or you'll do some good things in hell. How, how weird does that sound? 
We're going to do good down there. I know there's a joke. I can't remember how all the, the fullness of the joke goes, but the, but the final punchline is you got to get Oral Roberts out of here because he's raised the money to air condition the place. <laughs> I, I don't remember how the rest of the thing goes. Billy Graham was winning people to the Lord, and somebody else was getting them filled with the Spirit. But anyway, and Oral had raised the money to air condition hell. So, you know, but anyway, that's stupid joke, right? Maybe I need to cut that out in my tape before I make this available. But this is all, this is all God's judgment. And so this is all he's going to do. And listen to finally what it says, that he is going to tread this wine press. It says in our, in our verse, it says he will tread the wine press of the fury of the wrath of God three really heavy words in there. Tread, which has to do with crush. The fury, which is one, one of the Greek words for anger, but it means outbursts of anger. Fury of the wrath, this is the settled anger of God, the judgmental anger that sits there. And he's going to tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of of God. God is not just setting aside people's sins. He's not just ignoring it. It's not like, hey, it's okay. You know, I know you didn't make heaven, but you're okay. No, there will be fury. There will be acts of anger. Cannot imagine what this will be like as the Lord uh, comes in this time. And so what does it say? That he's going to tread this wine press. This is, a, this is kind of a grotesque picture. When you think of, it's not grapes in the wine press. It's what? It's people. This is, this is really grotesque. Yet it's the same image painted by Isaiah. And he talks about how these ones who have opposed him will be trampled as in a wine press. And their, their lives will be um, destroyed. The blood will flow. What's interesting is that how many times through, through the Old Testament, how many times in other, even New Testament scripture, has God's people, his nation, the, those who believe in him, are referred to as a garden. Um, they're fruitful trees. They are grain like wheat. They're olives, they're a productive field, they're a vine. All those things God has said, but you know what? For all those things, there's a time of harvest. And God will bring the good into his granary, and the bad he will throw away. Let's read some references. Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. So... Um, God has a sifting that he's going to do, a separation, sorting out. Now, we who are of the church, we've already been sorted, right? We're already with the Lord, and we will be uh, for all eternity. So this is not a subject to us, but it will be a subject to those who are upon the earth for the tribulation saints. 
as the people who are on the earth will either have believed or they will be judged. So uh, Matthew chapter 3, it says in verse 13, uh, this is the baptism of Jesus. Nope, wrong verse. Um, 11. 11 is where I want to go. And so he, John, John said, I baptize with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. How many have been baptized with the Holy Spirit? New birth, filled with the Spirit, right? He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. That's not, that's not the first coming of the Lord. First coming of the Lord is baptized with the Holy Spirit. Second coming of the Lord is fire. I know people say, well, have you got the fire of the Holy Spirit? No, we got the Holy Spirit. The fire is the fire of judgment. I'll show you why. Follow the verse. His winnowing fork is in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into his barn. That's the believers, right? But the chaff he will do what? Burn with unquenchable fire. That's the baptism of fire. So either you receive the baptism of the Spirit, life, or you receive the baptism of fire, judgment, destruction, burning. Go with me again, Matthew chapter 13. This isn't all the verses that could, we could use for this, but this is a couple of them. Um, Matthew chapter 13, I want to look at verse, uh, I'm going to, verse 41. Matthew 13, verse 41, this is at the end of the, the parable of the wheat and the tares. And at the end of the harvest season, the Lord is going to send forth the angels. And so he says, uh, verse 39, actually, is actually where I want to start. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. Second coming. Is the end of the age. And the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels. They will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. There's the baptism of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Verse 43, Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He has ears, let him hear. So, again, there's this, this sifting, this sorting, this judgment. We, as I said, have already been found that. Tribulation saints who died during the tribulation, they've already found that. But those who are alive upon the earth, they will be uh, either brought into the kingdom or they will be placed in fire. So uh, the last thing I want to look at is this title. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now this robe and thigh thing is, I mean, there's... you. You can't believe how many commentaries have a different idea of what the robe and thigh thing is, right? His name is on his robe and on his thigh. And there are many who have reached all kinds of, really some strange, very strange ideas of what these are. But it does leave some question. Is it, is it on his robe 
in his thigh? Is the robe just on his thigh? Is it on both? You know, does it matter? Some people say, well, it's on his robe, and if he's sitting on a horse, then it's going to be laying across his thigh. Uh, there's all kinds of things. Um, probably the most common that I've seen is that he's wearing a sash that goes from his shoulder down to his thigh. The sash covers the chest, hangs down onto the thigh, and trails off behind. That's one um, display of this. The other is that the name displayed on the robe is also written upon the thigh. It doesn't say there's just one time it's written. It's written on his robe and on his thigh. Um, and so, yes, that raises the question, does Jesus have a tattoo? Yeah. So, but how many, have, how many have been with me through Revelation? Did God write his name on people's forehead? Did the beast have names printed on people's forehead? So, is it not possible that his name is actually written upon him, on his body, and therefore they see it upon his thigh? I don't know. But you know what? I'm going to see it. I'm going to see it. Now, we're going to be behind him, so we might have to say, could you just could you turn around for just a second? We, just need, we need you to turn around. All right, let's, uh, final, final point, his name. Name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Uh, so far in chapter 19, we've seen uh, his name has been called faithful and true. It's a reference to his eternal person, to his, to his deity, to what he has always been. God is faithful, God is true. Jesus is faithful, he is true, so is the Holy Spirit. But this is a, a reference to the divine character, which he is. The second name given to him is the Word of God. This refers to Jesus in his incarnation. He always was the Word of God, but we didn't know that until he came. And so the Word of God was seen, and the Word became flesh and dwelt in our presence. The third name then here is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now, this is not just a title. It doesn't say his title is king and lord. It's his name. It's not like he has done these things so he gets the title. Now, this is his name. He is king and lord. That's who he is. That's part of his identity. There's all kinds of people who have established their kingdoms on this earth. Some of them thinking that their kingdom is greater than the Lord's. Some thinking their kingdom will go on forever. Some today still trying to build a kingdom. I'll pass over that. But you know what? He's the king of everything. Not just the king of the kings. Because compared to him, there is no other. This is not his title. This is his name. He has a name king of kings and lord of lords his kingship exceeds dominates literally consumes everything else that could be ruled he is absorbing everything everything is under his 
kingship. And there's nothing that is not. Just like he created everything, he is also king over everything. And it exceeds anything that is upon this earth. And again, this is not a conferred kingship. Somebody didn't give this to him. This is his name. It was for all eternity past. He set aside the glory of that. He set aside the operation of those things in his life. But he was king. Are you a king? Pilate asked him. Are you a king? He said, yeah, but not like you think. That's my paraphrase. My kingdom's out of this world. I've been a king from eternity past. You're only how old? <laughs> Pilate didn't understand. But on this day, what will we see? Jesus Christ returning. He is the word of God. He is the king and Lord. Philippians chapter 2 verse 11. It says, and at the name of Jesus. Jesus. Every knee will bow. In heaven, on earth, and under the earth. Satan and all of his demons are going to have to bow their knee. Yeah. Because he's king. All to the name of Jesus. And we'll confess that he is Lord. Not to their saving, but to their eternal damnation. He is Lord. So as we see him returning, next week we'll take up uh, the rest of this chapter, see the battle that is over before it begins, um, that everything is all accomplished, and so uh, glorious things. Amen? Amen? Father, we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you, Lord God, that you help us to uh, walk in security, to walk in strength, walk in peace. Father, you are ruling over all things. Um, help us to remember your sovereign rule over all things when we would be troubled about the things in this world. Help us to not be moved by the things that we see, but to be fully confident in you, fully confident in your word, fully confident in your promise. You are faithful. You are true. You wouldn't have said it if you didn't mean it. So, Father God, help us to rest in your omnipotent power, your omniscient presence with us. That you know what's going on in our hearts, you know the situations that we live in, and you will help us as we encounter all these things that we might walk in victory. And we thank you, Father God, for these things. In Jesus' name, amen.